0: Sometimes I have to force myself to allow this fact to slip into my conversations And I love Jesus, but often it's a truth that I keep relatively quiet and close to my chest I love the Holy Spirit, but I have no idea how to explain him to non-Christians, so I generally keep quiet now, as a pastor, I feel I have an unfair advantage in talking about Jesus because people expect me to talk about Jesus. It's not really fair on you guys. This is what I do. It's my job. And I don't know what I would do if I had a job in the marketplace. What would, would my love for Jesus, would it maybe bubble over naturally, or would I keep our relationship secret like some illicit affair? Sometimes I'm afraid that people might think I'm slightly simple because I believe in Jesus. I imagine that people might write me off as a religious extremist so I keep my relationship with Jesus on the down low. Sometimes I struggle to really differentiate between between politics and faith and I think that others have this problem as well because the media has mashed them all together, right? And I don't want to be on the wrong side or seen as on the wrong side, and I don't have time to give a long-winded, nuanced answer, and I'm afraid of being misinterpreted, so I keep my faith to myself. I, I want to be liked. I want to be thought of as... Maybe intelligent. I want to have friends and I want to keep my friends. And so I keep my relationship with Jesus quiet much more of- often than I would like. And I also imagine in my mind that my non-Christian friends already know what I believe. So I figure I don't need to say anything. Because I'm afraid that once I speak out loud, it will sound absurd both to me and to those listening. And I assume that they're not interested And so I keep quiet. Sharing Jesus with others is hard, and there are many reasons not to do it. So our ultimate question for today is, how do I tell others about Jesus? Now I love fights in movies, particularly martial arts movies. And not just because of the skill involved, but also because of the chivalry taking place in the middle of the fight scene. Especially in the scenes where it's one good guy up against tons of you know, assassins or something. Well, if you, if you observe, they're actually very chivalrous and gentlemanly in the way that they fight. Now, maybe movie fight scenes aren't the first place that you would think of to look for chivalry, but if you look very carefully, and you, you can see that gentlemanly spirit right there. It's there in virtually every fight scene. Let me explain. Well, the thing is, is that the bad guys are super polite. But you see, what happens uh, instead of all going for the good guy all at the same time and wasting him in in a couple of seconds because he wouldn't stand a chance. Instead of that, they take turns. And because they take turns, they allow him to beat them one at a time. Now they could easily have won that fight simply through numbers, but they take turns and so they lose. This is chivalry in action. This is an example to all of us, how we should live our lives. Now maybe these movie scenes are a little bit unrealistic but what they do allow us to do is to is to have the chance to observe each opponent one by one and to really get a sense of what it takes to fight and to beat that opponent then that opponent is it a nunchuck is it a staff is it a roundhouse kick what is needed okay each of them has its its own and so Right now, what I want to, in a sense, is to walk you through a one versus many fight scene, as you can see here set up in front of you. I'm just going to turn it. No, I won't, because they're all going to fall. But uh, hopefully, all of you over that side can see. And here, you have you, okay? This is you. And in front of you are three, three adversaries three enemies. Now every move and now every hero in every movie worth its salt has a goal, has an aim, has a task. And your goal in front of you is to tell people about Jesus. That's your, your goal. But in front of you are these three adversaries and like any fight scene in any martial arts movies that you ever watch, they're going to approach you one by one and they're going to try to take you down. And, because they're coming at you one by one, we have the chance to look at their individual fighting style, what their main weapon is, and how you can counter their attack. Now the first enemy that we find is fear. Now fear runs way too many lives. Fear rules way too many lives. Fear ruins way too many lives. I can be so afraid of what might happen that nothing ever happens. I never do anything. And what Peter's doing is he's writing to, to people who are Christians who are facing trial and persecution for their faith under Emperor Nero. So what we read in 1 Peter chapter 3 is very, very real. They would, they, would, they would come under incredible social pressure to maybe keep things quiet, to not share about who they truly are. They understand what fear is. And what Peter says in verse 14 is, he says this, even if you should fear, even if you should fear, Even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. And what Peter's saying here is that you don't have to fear fear. And the reason is because Jesus Christ has a counterattack for you, and it's a doozy. Verse 15 shows us what this counterattack is. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Instead of fearing your opponents, instead of fearing your adversaries, instead of fearing, fearing those who live with you, who you mix with, who you see every. instead of fearing them, revere Christ as Lord. And in, and in Greek, what Peter is saying is, crowd out your fear of people with the greater and the better and the more amazing fear of Jesus as Lord. Now, Instead of the word fear, we could just as easily say the word sanctify or set apart, maybe honor. You know, these are all words which, which we could use instead of revere. And what, and what Peter's saying is that Jesus is your secret weapon here. And the way that you revere him or you set him apart or you use him as your secret weapon is to set him apart for specific use. So Jesus' lordship is a powerful weapon in your hands. When you meditate on scriptures that make him as great in your eyes as he is in reality, when you meditate on scriptures that lift him up, that truly focus your eyes on him, that magnify him, when you focus on those scriptures, the fear of humans is crowded out. If you've never experienced that, maybe it's because you've never done this. Jesus becomes everything. Nothing else matters except for him and the call which he has on your life. Your your heart and your mind and your will get get caught up in in such a purpose that is so noble and world-changing. So friends, if you want to grow a heart for, for evangelism or a heart for those who don't know Christ if you want to grow that art within you If you want to nurture it, it's got to start with setting apart Jesus as Lord You you aren't able to will yourself into caring. Maybe you're there thinking I don't know how to make myself care about Those who aren't saved well you will never do it because you can never will yourself into caring But what you can do is you can worship your way into caring by revering Christ as Lord, with setting him apart as Lord, with placing him there on a pedestal in your life as number one. So the first enemy is fear. Fear is big. Here, fear has a beard. Fear is scary looking. But the the counterattack is to... Meditate on Christ Jesus as Lord. Yeah, that's awesome. You always need a sound effect if it's a martial arts movie. And preferably for the uh, words to not match up with what's being said, right? The second enemy, so the first enemy is what? fear, okay? The second enemy is simply this, not knowing what to say. Many of us have this secret prayer, and the prayer goes something like this, God, never ever put me in a situation where I ever have to share about you, please, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. (laughs) Many of us have that secret prayer. You see, when we think of speaking about him, sharing the great news of him, often what we think is something along these lines. How can I naturally sneak into the conversation with my hairdresser the truth that Jesus lived and died and rose again for them? And if they believe in him and say sorry for their sins, then they will get the Holy Spirit and life eternal. Okay, we, we think that. But what... Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 is something very, very different. He doesn't say, make sure you know a two-minute presentation of the gospel and also make sure that you understand what substitutionary atonement means, because that might come up in the conversation. He doesn't say that. Instead, what Peter says in verse 15 is this, always be prepared, what? To give an answer. Always be prepared to give an answer. And here, what he's doing is he's actually putting the onus on the curiosity of the other person. He's assuming that they will ask. And he says, when they ask, simply be ready. Now, they might not out and out ask you, can you tell me why you're a Christian? Now, that might happen, but it most likely won't. But what they might say is something like this, hey, I'm really stressing out about what's heading our way at work. Uh, You always seem to be quite chill. Uh, What's your secret? Okay, they might say something like that. And at that moment, whether you realize it or not, they are asking you for a reason for the hope that is within you. My friend, this is an appointment from God Himself. Because all of a sudden, your friend is interested in what you have to say. They have just I- expressed that they need something that they don't have and they're asking you what you have to offer. Now, if you're like me, you could wimp out at that moment and say something along the lines of, well, you're asking how I'm so relaxed. Well, I guess it's just the type of man I am. Maybe it's just naturally who I am. Now, that would be my tendency with mock humility to knock aside this lovely compliment and then to carry on with the conversation. But when we do that, I believe that Jesus is there frantically waving at us and saying, hey, this is your chance. You need to tell them about how you read your Bible every day and how this grounds you. You need to tell them how, how, how knowing that Jesus is, is the good shepherd, Gives you peace. You need to tell them that I am the reason for this peace and this hope. Don't take credit for it yourself. Tell them it's me. Right? That's what he wants. And yet, in this mock humility, we say we end up with some rubbish answer that helps no one and brings glory to God. Not at all. So, how do you share the reason for the hope you have, okay? How do you do that? Because that's what First Peter 3.15 says. Be prepared for you to give a reason for the hope that you have. How do you do that? Well, it starts with knowing, but with having ready in your pocket, in your heart, in your brain, a Coles Notes version of your salvation story. Okay, that's where it starts, just simple, one minute long, ready, you've memorized it, you are set, ready to go. So if someone asks you, you're not caught there like a deer in headlights, but you're thinking, okay, I've already prepared. Now, there are two types of Christians. There are those who know the moment when they were saved and there are those who don't know the moment when they were saved. Now, if you're the first type, if you know that moment when you, you chose to follow Jesus, well, you can run over your, your, your story. And an easy way for you to do this, this calls Notes 1-minute version, is to say, this is how I was before I met Jesus. This is how I met Jesus. And this is what I'm like now. Maybe you were an alcoholic and then you met Jesus and now you're sober. Maybe you were a worrier and then you met the Lord and now you have such a peace which passes understanding. Maybe you struggled with feeling angry lots of the time and then you met Christ and now you love your humans around you. No your before and after, and practice saying it in one minute or less, you know, the bare bones. We don't need to know the day and what the weather was like and this and that and the other, just how things were, you met Jesus, what things are like now. You need to be prepared so that you can give an answer for, or for the hope that is within you. Now, maybe you don't know the exact moment when you came to Christ, hands up, if you don't know the exact moment, okay? I'm one of those, okay? Now, maybe all that you've known, you you know, you were raised in, in church, you, you, you're not sure when you signed your life over to him, but you know that you know that you know that Jesus is Lord of your life. Well, if that's you, it's hard for you to say, this is what I used to be like, this is when I met Jesus, and this is what I'm like now. So for you, what you can have ready is that you can share a time in your life that if Jesus wasn't there, you would have lost it. That having him there in the midst of your life made all of the difference. Maybe it was a hardship or a loss, maybe grieving. How did Christ make the difference in that? What, What would your life have looked like going through that if you hadn't had Jesus with you? So share that. Have that ready, that, that, that one account ready so that you are ready to share. So our second enemy is not knowing what to say and the counter-attack is knowing your story. Sound effect, ready, three, two, one. <laughs> enemy number two down. Now the third enemy is feeling unworthy. This is how it goes, Elise. This is how I experience, I have a burden for my friend and I want to share Christ with them, but I'm too aware of the sin in my life. It's like I have a voice in my head saying to me, who do you think you are to be even sharing Jesus with your friends? I know what you, what you are up to in the quiet of your home. I know your history. If you share Jesus with them, then you're nothing more than a hypocrite. And we all know about how people outside the church feel about people inside the church who are hypocrites. So it's best to keep quiet and not misrepresent Jesus rather than make a fool of yourself. Friends, there's nothing that will make you feel more unworthy to share the hope that is within you than having undealt with sin in your life. So how do we deal with feeling unworthy? Verse 16 gives us a clue. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Slander. So what is our counterattack? Our counterattack is keeping a clear conscience by reminding ourselves that Jesus has made us clean. In other words, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves. You see, as, as soon as you sin, you need to come back to God and allow him to wipe that sin clean. Sometimes we're so fixated on, on introducing our best friend Jesus to our friends that we, we don't remember to introduce our best friend Jesus to ourselves because you need to hear the gospel too, and I need to hear the gospel too. I need to say, hey, Dan, meet Jesus. He loves you. His love for you is overwhelming and insatiable. He wants the best for you. He knows that you've sinned and that you've strayed from him, Dan. He knows that. But all he wants is for you to come back home. He's here, ready to cleanse you and to put you back on your feet again. He's ready for you. He's waiting for you. He loves you. Just turn around and come back home. And let me tell you, once that happens, there is nothing more motivating to share Jesus with others than when we've experienced the love and the cleansing of Jesus ourselves, amen? So when you feel unworthy, preach the gospel to yourself. And what is that gospel? Verse 18 actually tells us, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing verse. Friends, I strongly encourage you to turn verse 18 and make it into a prayer. Memorize it. That he, that he came, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he could bring me to God. That's why Jesus came. So we can beat the enemy of unworthiness with the counterattack Of preaching the gospel to yourself here's enemy number three here's you enemy number three down and enemy number three is pretty scary looking right but not a chance because we have the Lord on our side now there's more I could say about what we've just read and I love it because 1 Peter 3, 13 through 18, particularly verse 15, is just incredible. It's so practical. It's so rich. It's so full. And, I, and what I hope is that you, you take it home and you, you talk about it in your grow groups and at home and that you read it over and over again because it's such a wonderful verse, 1 Peter 3, 15. So we all face three enemies in sharing Jesus' good news. We feel fear, we don't know what to say, and we feel unworthy. And so as as we get used to our counterattacks, as we learn them, as we learn these kind of spiritual um, roundhouse kicks and kung fu moves we can win as as we learn to fear God, as we learn our story, and uh, and as we, we preach the gospel to ourselves. We will find ourselves more and more ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us, and we will do it with gentleness and respect. And in fact... It may happen that you might start to not hate the thought of sharing Jesus with your friends. In fact, one day you might even get excited about the thought of sharing Jesus with your friends. I love the gospel. I love the good news. I love that we worship a God who loves us so much that he gave up everything for us. It's incredible. Amen. So, I want you to go home not, f- not just feeling challenged, but I also want you to have an extra tool in your tool belt. And so, while I wrap up, I want to slide away from our text, and I want to, to leave you with this one tool. Now, this is a piece of advice which I heard recently um, was on a podcast I was listening to from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Now, Ravi Zacharias is a speaker and a thinker that I love very, very much. I really respect him. Now, this piece of advice wasn't from him specifically, but it was from someone representing him in his organisation. And I love it because it's so simple. And in this episode, uh, which I was listening to, it was on this this. This whole thing of sharing our faith, of, of, of sharing Jesus. And when I heard this wonderful piece of advice, it got me excited and it made loads of sense. And if, if, if you and I have had any conversation over the past little while, you may have heard me weaving this into our conversations because it, it's, it's so excellent. And this wonderful piece of advice that is free, you can take home and use is this. Ask many questions ask many questions ask many questions so what i share now is a mixture of what i heard on the podcast mixing with my own insights and here's the thing is that we don't ask questions very well Think of when you talk with someone in your relationship circle. You might ask them a question like, how was your weekend? And then they give you their answer, well, I was doing some renovations. Um, and then if, if you haven't already gone on to the next subject, you might think up a second question, um, what kind of renovations were you doing? That's level two. So you've had level one. What did you do on the weekend? Level two. What kind of renovations were you doing? Now. Now, the guy on the podcast shared about that he was, he was with a friend and he was asking this very thing. And so when he asked his friend this second question, what renovations were you doing? His friend shared that they were renovating the basement because his sister-in-law was moving in, his wife's sister. Now, this is the moment where most of us would go, oh, that's interesting, and then move on to something else. We would start a new topic of, of Conversation, but listen to me this level level two, level three, and moving on is where the gold is because it 's at level three is a question three that things start to get really interesting and so this host asked this man a, a third question he said, How do you feel about your sister in law moving into your house and it was at this third level question that led to 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 their Normal conversation moving to a whole, 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 whole other level. It was at level three that we start to reach that moment where we can share the reason for the hope which is within us. And so I've been doing this over the last few weeks. I've been intentionally sticking with the conversation and asking more and more questions about it. So on Thursday, one example, I spent 90 minutes with a guy talking about homing pigeons. And it was incredible. He loves them. And I was really curious. And so I just kept asking and asking and asking. And it was, it, it was amazing, like really cool. You know, I've had more opportunities over this past little while to share Jesus than I've had in ages, in years. And not once have I gone into the conversation thinking, how can I shoehorn Jesus into the conversation? Not once. Instead, I just ask a question, then I ask a question, and I don't leave the topic, and then I ask another one, and I dig, and I dig, and I dig, and it just goes on and on from level one to level two to level three to level four to level five. What would it look like if you stuck with a topic of conversation for five whole questions? Where would that lead? Because this is where the magic happens. Because by asking five simple questions in a genuinely interested way and letting someone share from their heart without fear of moving on to something else, you're allowing them to share with you who they truly are. And all this time, you're, you're letting God, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, to minister to them through you and your questions. And if you're honest, we all love speaking about ourselves because because me, Dan Wallace, is the one subject that I'm the world ranking expert on. So ask me about me, I'd love to tell you. And then this moment comes. Maybe they've been sharing about this stuff that makes them worried or anxious or whatever. And then they they might say to you, you always seem really grounded when life's crazy. What's your secret? And then, my friends, this is the moment when you can give a reason for the hope which is within you. And you do it with gentleness and respect. And I know, I know, I know from personal experience that God uses this. And all you were doing was asking a question, asking another question, asking another question, and sticking with a subject. And I think that we're all able to do this. So fear, not knowing what to say, feeling not worthy. These are our opponents, and they stand in the way of us sharing Jesus with our friends but through focusing on Christ's Lordship, through knowing your story and through preaching, preaching the gospel with yourself and through asking question after question after question, you can be ready to share the reason for the hope that is within you.